have a break and yes. then find okay so you Frog went according and he did right uh -huh. Frog went according and he did right uh -huh. Frog went according and he did right With a sword and a pistol by his side uh -huh. And he rode right up to Miss Mousy's door he rode right after Ms. Mousy's I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so pleased to have Joanna Scott here in the studio with me. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and you'll be reading tomorrow at the University, um, the, the Art Museum. Mm -hmm. And so that'll be about 5 o'clock right, for people exactly. to start putting that on their yeah, date books, right? <laughs> Um, before we go any further, uh, I'll read the, sh the short bio in the back of your, your book, Follow Me, a novel, uh, out with Little Brown, 2009, and, um, and then we're going to fill in all the other books, short story collections, we'll talk all about that, mm -hmm. um, kind of get the fuller picture mm -hmm. in a moment. But to start, Joanna Scott is the author of nine books, including The Mannequin, which was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Various Anecdotes and Arrogance, which were both finalists for the Penn Faulkner Award, and the critically acclaimed Make Believe, Tourmaline, and Liberation. A recipient of a MacArthur Fellowship, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and a Lannan Award, Scott lives with her family in upstate New York. Uh, we were just talking about Rochester, the, right. and, and you work at the University of Rochester, I professor. Do. I have been teaching there for a long time. Yeah, I've for, lost track how many years, actually. Well, well you and, and your your husband, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. So it we seems are, like it was a decision and built, a, and you have two daughters. That's right, that's right. It works. You know, one of us can go to the meeting and take notes and report back. No, don't do that. Never, never. Shh. Right. <laughs> don't tell. Right. Are your, we on the air? Your secret's safe with us, right? It's a the um and and the let's see in the the MacArthur uh you I was reading uh, that you you won that when you you were 31. I know, very young. And so I wish I won it <laughs> recently actually. <laughs> well, maybe can you get it more than once? No, I mean, can you be no, can, I don't think genius, that's ever genius, happened. genius. <laughs> no. Well, there's always firsts, right? Yeah. So. And when I won it, they uh calculated the amount of money you received according to your age. So uh, no, it was no. much better to be elderly. What? what Just is my that? luck. What? That is so typical that's of my a, life. That's a crazy calculation, actually. I know. They changed that yeah, after I received the award. But there you, you go. You think if you were younger, you would yeah. even maybe need a bit more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I shouldn't uh, complain. You know, no, you're the just hand that feeds me. Yeah. yeah so it's, um, plus, it's something that's uh, it must be something that um, I mean, it's it's always there, but in a good way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This 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 award. And um, as I was reading the bio, also Joanna, I was thinking the Penn Faulkner Award. That must have been. Uh, maybe a, and especially like being a finalist for this like this because Faulkner has played an important it seems like role in, in yeah you know that writing. that award is special to me I've been a judge for that as well as a, a finalist for the award and uh, it has um it's it's always been an award that that 
recognizes at least to some extent writers who who might be a little outside of the mainstream as well as writers very much in the mainstream you know it's unpredictable and in that regard has been uh, a, a very welcome uh, addition to our literary culture i think and that's the 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 strange thing isn't it this idea of the mainstream mainstream when you're thinking about literary fiction mm. because is that I know it's not the mainstream. It's a little rivulet that's <laughs> dripping off to the side over the dam, and then yeah, yes, water very important. Very in the important. novel, follow me. Yes. That's on the table with Absolutely. us. Absolutely, it runs backwards in that novel. <laughs> Anything is possible it in is. a Joanna Scott world. That's exactly right. Or in a, in a work of fiction, which is why I'm attracted to it. I think that's exactly it. Anything is possible. So, I uh, the the immense freedom that we have as writers. Uh, is intoxicating. It's addictive in, in that regard. So uh, that that draws me in to uh, keeps me going, keeps me returning to this very difficult art. <laughs> because it's something that chose you from from a young age. Yeah, yeah. I and now at my advanced stage. Well, I no, yeah, <laughs> that's not at all what I'm implying. No, no. no. <laughs> Let me say this: that I look back. And think, uh, was I chosen? Did I let it choose me before I quite knew what I was getting into? Sometimes I do ask myself that. You know, I was very passionate early on. I I loved the sounds of words. I I, I loved weirdly the physical activity of holding a pen and, and moving it across paper. And then when I learned to type, back in the olden days, you know, we used typewriters. <laughs> My first full-time job when I was uh, out of college with my first paycheck, I bought a big pink used IBM Selectrix, very fancy typewriter. And wow, I could type fast on that typewriter. So I'm thinking this was also quite a massive, it was, and it hummed, oh, and it was because it, it was electric. Picture me walking down, was it 29th Street, with this typewriter, you know, trying to get a taxi so I could take it back to my apartment. <laughs> the baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's up in my attic now. I love it. Oh, oh, yeah. oh Gathering dust. You should bring cobwebs. that down. I know, I know. I should embalm I, it. <laughs> well, because it probably isn't something that you could separate yourself from but I know home for it if you want to the Lloyd Hall Scholars Program is looking for a typewriter so oh really I don't know it's probably a mammoth too it would probably be a million dollars to ship but yeah exactly um, but yeah there are some uh, young students that are still I'm trying to give them access to the feeling of old typewriters yeah because doesn't it change it seems to me I read in a just to talk about process for a moment that in a in an interview with you from several years ago you said that you loved the the ink smudges on mm. your, your did hand. i say that yes oh my gosh you never know what's going to come back to you <laughs> i still love them and i just washed them off i sh- i would have them but i washed my hands before i came here as proof yeah <laughs> it's because i'm left-handed so that my oh, hand so moves across. over the ink uh inevitably yeah i'm surprised it's not com- well is it and my hand stains that <laughs> permanently reach. tattooed. Uh, they yeah, absolutely. I love. I love that. Love the smell of ink. Still, um, are you still using it as it your drafting stages to some extent? But I, I work uh, mostly on the computer now, and and um, 
uh, enamored with all the capabilities that it introduces, too, especially as I tell my student the block and delete command. I love that in writing fiction. You know, you can take a whole week's of work, block it, delete it, and it's as though it never happened and start fresh. Yes. Do you ever put it somewhere else in a new folder, like for perhaps strays? That, it, or? It, that's a really good idea to do. I'm, I'm, I should be more organized. I try to, actually. I, I do save drafts. And, uh, and, and in fact, in recent work, it's been very important for me to go back and pull things that I, I might have thought weren't weren't uh, useful and How turn out so? to be useful. Uh, can you... uh, well, it's it's a little hard to tell when you're in the midst of a chapter or section uh, if it's going to have uh, if a piece of information or a scene or or even a sentence is is going to have resonance because you don't have the the material beyond it. So it's, it's hard to judge the the impact of that that section, that passage. Uh, so it is important to save it and, and come back because you might not think of a better idea when you're looking to fill in a hole, you know, if it's there already in the, uh, you know, box of drafts, the file of drafts, then that can be very useful. Yes, because so, yeah. in the old days, it seems like there was a, 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 there were maps and maps that as you went through subsequent revisions or drafts and mm -hmm. so there were things to return to or always these pieces yes yes but and very distinct drafts too this has changed things in a, a fascinating way because we would have and and many writers still work this way they they have a, a single draft they go through it revise it put it aside and then have the second draft and go through it and put it aside i i think more uh, common though is this it, just because a computer the the uh, process is easier uh, technically um, there there's no single draft it's just in a constant state of flux more yes more and and I think we see that in in the texture of prose in general and in uh, contemporary fiction uh, we we I think uh, you know can see uh, that that a lot more can be Packed into it now, um, the uh, uh, certain kind of even a waywardness that mm -hmm. maybe we, we we do love because often love it because it it uh, we we can recognize that that a waywardness on the page uh, uh, echoes a waywardness of mind of thought you know captures something about the way we think, but it, it does seem to me that we're just. Uh, we can be, or or fiction writers in general can be a little messier, you know, a, a, a little um, uh, a little wilder, maybe. I don't know if I should conclude that. I'll say it tentatively. <laughs> but wilder in meaning is sort of more op open to some of the the pieces or the the small tangents that mm -hmm. might take characters in a, a certain direction, but then returning. Yeah, to like yeah, a strong yeah. So, so you know, I compare the wildness of, say, the 18th century writer Lawrence Stern with uh, um, our, our contemporary David Foster Wallace, and the you know similar kind of rebelliousness and the the uh, resistance to a, a narrative momentum that just goes marches forward. In that yes. sense, similar, but uh, you know, stern the the uh, a gloss, a polish on on the language, and with uh, 
David Foster Wallace maybe more of a, a, a well, a wildness, I, I, I repeat that word, yes. uh, waywardness, roughness uh, in, in the prose that's very fetching, I think. And with, because um, I'm not familiar with Stern from the 18th mm-hmm. century, the writings, but, but is it more, is it also, was the writing as it was given to the audience, was it also in, in section sort of as Dickens, like was it sort of something that was coming out in pieces or was it a huge tome that then you got as one book well, and yeah, when it came to you, you know, as the, actually the many, reader? You're absolutely right because that, that's a, a, a big difference for many of the writers, especially uh, you know, in the 19th century, like Dickens, writing in that serial form. And uh, uh, that fascinates me in that they, you know, Dickens w- had to have the the whole n- novel conceived. You know, he had to know that little Nell was going to die <laughs> when he started. And do you think he, that, you really think he did? You don't think that, or there were points maybe that you had, like you had to get to as if you were hiking in Scotland, you had to get to the next village for sleeping and then you could go on. But well, yes, he, 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 he plotted his out pretty carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, readers also wrote into him and uh, sometimes objected to the uh, what seemed like the direction of the narrative it was going in this direction. No, don't let that happen. They'd say they'd write <laughs> into his magazine. And so he'd have to struggle with that because he was a very popular writer and wanted to respond to but, his audience. But then Stern wasn't in the same manner. It was just that he, he, he was writing long yeah, instead, yeah, but yeah, not yeah. having, and, and was, but it was of one piece yes, when and it was that, into the public well, realm. You know, I, I, I don't know as much about the background of Stern, a, a very um, similar work that uh, I've come across recently. It's an anonymous book called The Parasite, and it does what Stern does, but in a way more radically. Uh, and at one point, this book that's about um, a young man who's making his way through the world, trying to, struggling, trying to... Uh, find a career for himself, um, written in the 18th century, right around the time that uh, Stern was writing Tristram Shandy. Uh, in this book, he ta- in this whole package of a book, you know, that, that he, uh, you know, it's a big book. Uh, like your typewriter. Yeah, <laughs> heavy to carry. There are, he, he stops the writing and he says, uh, now reader, it's your turn. I don't know where to go with this. You fill in the blanks. And there there's blank pages in this novel, the the ancient it's century. So experimental. It's <laughs> so experimental. It's so crazy. But but I would say I uh, somehow poised and at least for in hindsight it seems so in comparison to perhaps some of the experiments that are going on today. Yes. Well, that's lovely. Well, uh-huh. let's. Well, Joanna, let's let's take a short break, and then when we come back, would um, would you mind reading some of "Follow Me" so oh, we can get thank you hear, sure. hear the yeah. prose? Um, and then tomorrow, of course, you'll be at UMA at five p.m. Um, reading from "Everybody Loves Somebody," a short story or or pieces of short stories, mm-hmm. or, or, or I think or a story one, from a the story, collection, a yeah. story from "Everybody Loves mm-hmm. Somebody." Um, so we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. You've got living writers. We'll be back.
thumbing my way into North Carolina Staring up the road and pray to God I see headlights I made it down the coast in 17 hours Picking me a bouquet dogwood flowers And I'm hoping for Riley I can see my baby tonight So rock me mama like a wagon wheel Rock me mama any way you feel I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Joanna Scott is here in the studio um, with her her novel we've got on the table here, Follow Me, thanks to Tex for engineering and uh, finding the great music uh, for us. We started off with a Bob Dylan song uh, that Joanna, we were, as we were walking towards the station, you you picked um yeah, yeah i i when you asked me for a, a song that might have some relevance for my fiction uh, that was a song in particular that i heard and then went off and tried to write something in response to it uh and it what i ended up with is a far cry from the story the ballad of uh frog went to court and uh but the that was the inspiration. I, I I thought I could write an entire novel about Frog and Miss Mousy, if you know the ballad. And then it's so sad because they're eaten by the cat at the end. I didn't know how to deal with that. Uh, it ended up uh, taking quite a different turn. And it uh, turned into the first story in the collection, Everybody Loves Somebody, called Heaven and Hell. Uh, characters you, you wouldn't recognize quite as as rat and frog and uh, mousy <laughs> and the cat, <laughs> but they've been born born into a new new life. Yes, in heaven I, and hell. <laughs> yes, and I have Mr. Dylan to thank for it. Oh, uh-huh. it's a beautiful. So his rendition of it is just lovely and uh, and so expressive. And that you know any art that is so expressive often creates new art yes mm. oh isn't that the mm-hmm. truth really mm-hmm. yes because it, it feeds you and yes, then it also yes, is, yes. and it, it makes you begin yeah you're compelled as well yeah, somehow yeah. Um, it becomes irresistible and it, it's uh, like standing in a museum looking at a particular painting there might be something that just goes click inside you and then you run back home and I, I love how you you say that like things it's addictive or you mm. or the writing the writing itself is like an obsessive quality do you find in that and um, Help. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't need no, I know you don't mean that <laughs> and uh, one of your stories you said was triggered by standing in an art museum maybe in Vienna or oh, maybe that's right that's right like funny to... that you mentioned that I <laughs> uh, yes that was my novel arrogance and uh, I I was uh, in my 20s at the time and had written a couple of novels uh, that even by today's standard are, are 
strange. I mean, I, I'll say it that uh, strange. Right. Good. I, I like strange too. So uh, strange and our dreams are strange. They tend to be strange, right? But uh, uh, sometimes we don't like to acknowledge that. But I will acknowledge. <laughs> I'm with you. So there, I had you know, as a young writer, I had these two novels behind me, and I was at a. Um, show at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, a Fin de Siècle show, Fin de Siècle, the end of the uh, oh. the uh, 19th century in Vienna. The fo- the show focused mainly on the mainly on the artist Gustav Klimt. And there was a side room with drawings by the artist Egon Schiele, who died young at the age of 28. And it, at that point, you know, this was back in the uh the late 80s, he wasn't well-known. He's quite well-known, and, and uh, the reputation is established here in this country now. But uh, I, in, in looking at the drawings, some of which were quite outrageous, quite strange, uh, uh, provocative uh, portraits of the artist nude, um, contorted uh, expressions that were agonizing, uh, while I was looking at these drawings, a couple meandered past, stopped, glanced at one of the drawings, and the man turned to the woman and said, would you buy a used car from this guy? <laughs> so Because it was thought, one of, the, it was a portrait of the artist himself, even though he yes, did sketches of yes, many girls yeah, and all this, yeah, but yeah. yes, but it was him. It was a self-portrait. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so then, you know, this was just... There in my, you know, it's one memory to add to many that we accumulate over the course of a day. And I, I went back to Rochester and it, it kind of nagged at me. And I wanted to know more about this artist, Egon Schiele. And the first thing I found in our library was a diary that had been translated by a woman named Alessandra Comini, that, a diary that he kept in prison because he, uh, this artist was... Uh, imprisoned for a short time for, because of his art yeah or, or, or because he his, uh, his models yeah and and it was uh he was uh a little sketchy. sexually provocative <laughs> uh, nothing to laugh at yeah yeah well anyway uh, but <laughs> there, so so i uh, in it he mentions a, a girl he thought might have accused him of something unfairly and i became interested in that girl then. So it led me, you know, each each clue was leading me deeper into uh, uh, the, a, a story. And so then I decided to try to tell the story from her perspective and ended up ah. beginning with her perspective, but then moving around to many different perspectives to try to approach that artist, Egon Schiele, or my, to try to uh, approach my imagined version of that artist because I, I'm not an art historian. I, I wasn't trying to recreate the life exactly. Um, but it did all begin with a conversation in a museum that I happened to overhear. I love those accidents that I, I and catch me. open to them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yet you use his name, though. The real I name, do. so it is. It is connected to yes. a, a person's life, and there are yes. these moments that yes. are really yes. real. That but I think imagining. we say at the beginning, this this is a work of fiction. It has nothing to do oh, with the it, real life. I mean, you have to. Okay. I mean, it, it's part of the uh, I, uh, the publisher's legal strategy to protect itself. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I, I am not trying to uh, pretend that, like that, that this would be a, or that this would be a resource novel. for for yes. historians. No, it, I trust the historians to uh, come up with a more reliable source. Because it seems like when you're on a per, you're on a, a path of inquiry, when you're pursuing the ideas, you're following a, a sort of a course, almost like a river that could be changing course, like to mm. find this young like this young woman that mm-hmm. actually became the spark like the first voice mm-hmm, that you mm-hmm, focused on mm-hmm, for for arrogance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but that you're not interested in trying to get all the finer details of the town in researching you sort of keep a uh how do you approach researching then i should say or well i, I guess i'd want to <laughs> uh, open that up because i uh, i do and i've been thinking more about this lately that i uh, the one of the great things that language can do is to give or pretend to give substance to a thought. It, it creates that the illusion of materiality, if I can say that. For uh, and our thinking. Yeah. Itself. So we have an idea and then we describe that idea and, and add images and maybe fragrances and maybe sounds and then we get the feeling that we're there. So that makes me more interested than ever in our ability to evoke setting, a place, a, 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 a land. Um, I've always been interested in that and drawn to literature, uh, prose and poetry that that uh, creates the illusion of place. Um, gives me a, a sense of a, a really particular setting. Um, so in order to do that my Like Faulkner, even yeah, going exactly, back to that exactly. example. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, you know, it, it, sometimes, you know, I think in Faulkner it might be just the quality of a, a glancing image, a, a, a quick look at... Uh, and as I lay dying, Darl passing through a, a, a cabin, uh, the it's it's hard to know how to do it. You know, I, I'm, I'm it's one of the things I I, I am always looking for in, in books I admire. How do writers evoke that setting? How how do they make us feel that we're there in time and place? So so one of the things I have found myself doing is going to that place. So and and that's been a treat, really. I have to say, it's a, uh, one of the even rewards I could call it that that I allow myself as a as a writer to pick myself up from my desk and and okay, I've I've imagined this drawing from either memory or or secondary sources gathered information but it, until i go there uh, i you know i feel like I, I won't be able to quite get the words right that place so i did go to vienna and i did stand outside of the the prison no. Yeah, I did. Yeah 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 oh sure i i stood outside in neulenbach and uh, looked through the uh, basement window and was sure I saw the shadow of a body lying there. But 
We'll never know. I stood outside a candy shop and took notes, and I, to, for so long that people started to gather around me and look in the window. What? What does what's she the, see? What's the there? attraction? Yeah. That I just wanted the names of of things, the names, the 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 names of chocolates, of sweets, of pastries. Ah, uh, and and so. How do you do? How do you approach that with um, the whaling ship? Well, the good, that's a very good question. <laughs> Another novel of Joanna's. They were so we all good need to question. Have many conversations. Yeah, in fact, I went to the whaling ship, and I snuck on it in uh, um, uh, Mystic in Connecticut, uh, which is the state of your birth. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it was uh, after hours, and I. Uh, <laughs> I went on, I don't know how I did. I was so gutsy back then. You know, I. Back then, I know, even you, now. No, no, and, I, in would, the future. I would wait till it was legally, no. you know, that I, I wouldn't get arrested to do this. I, so, yeah, I snuck onto this, this old whaling ship and, and walked around and um, took some notes and uh, felt the wood and smelled the smells and uh, it it helped really to help me to imagine uh, imagine my way more deeply into the history because when taking the boat on the sea yeah so so time. it is true writing out of history writing about the past writing writing uh, about a time that's gone lost I, I I don't have access to it in the same way that I do you know going down the street to check out the um, neighborhood, but it feels like uh, there are things but, you're sure of, though. Like there's some, there's even if it's the own, like it's rules that you're finding. You're sure of something after you stood on that boat and touched the wood. Yeah, there was something that solidified for you that then, I don't know, allowed you to have the imaginative confidence. That's uh, wonderfully put. Um, the uh, you know, I don't know if I persuade myself or if writers, we just, we, we pretend we have that confidence, but it, it can, we can convince ourselves that, that we, uh, we know something uh, that we don't really know. And, and so that's, I don't know, then we have to convince the readers of that too. There's the challenge. Which reminds me of your line, I will tell you how it was. Mm, that is, uh, <laughs> I'm still trying to do that. I'm still. That's exactly what I. That was the the first line of my first novel, and I was saying it to some extent in uh, reaction to some resistance I was getting from some readers of early drafts of my work, and I just said, "I will tell you," and I've been trying to do that for the last thirty years. Ah. Well, I love that. We'll we'll take a short break, and then okay. we'll come back. We'll talk more today. Joanna Scott is here on Living Writers. Her novel, Follow Me, which we will hear some of, I promise. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. We've got text in the engineering booth. We'll be right back. <laughs> All day I faced a barren waste without the taste of water, cool water. Old Dan and I with throats burned dry and souls that cry for water. water. 
clear. Water, water, keep a moving, Dan. Don't you listen to him, Dan? He's a devil, not a man, and he spreads the burning sand with water. Dan, can you see that big green tree where the water's running free and is waiting there for me and you? The nights are cool and I'm a fool Each star's a pool of water Cool water, water. But with the dawn I'll wake and yawn and carry on to water Welcome back. You've got WCBN FM Ann Arbor Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Joanna Scott here in the studio. Um, and thanks to Tex for that wonderful song. Um, I don't know if Tex can jump on the mic and tell us, but it's it's definitely got um, water. <laughs> water. <laughs> that I, I know it too. Do you know it, Joanna? The song? Have you must have heard it on the Down Home Show, yeah. Tex? Cool, clear water. That's a very famous. Sons of the Pioneers song. Oh, beautiful. Originally recorded in the 30s, but uh, they did it a bunch of times. Well, and especially um, appropriate, and thank you for finding it, um, because of the opening that, Joanna, will you, will you read for us I from would Follow love Me? To. Thank you. November 6, 2006. One and two and three and. That's about how long my father had to contemplate his life, to catch one last hungry glimpse of a sky that was likely the same steel gray as this morning sky, to hear the river spilling down the cliff face of the upper falls, to see the spool of foam tinged red from chemical waste unraveling with the northward pull of the current, to note the strata of limestone and shale in the sheer walls below the ruins of Boxman's Mill, to feel his arms grappling helplessly, his legs buckling, his torso twisting away from the water while he anticipated his absence from the world and thought about my mother and abruptly and completely regretted his decision to jump. My father was a mystery to me when I was growing up, though not because he threw himself on the pedestrian bridge six months before I was born. Here's the thing. He didn't die that day. He survived his plunge into the icy tusky, and as soon as he dried out and recovered his senses, he packed his bags and left town. You might say he was lucky, but really a man who'd concluded that the only release from his torment was to escape life altogether would have needed more than luck. And so in November of 1974, on a day much like today, in the wake of a rainstorm, he climbed over the rail of the bridge and jumped. And as he fell, he had enough time to acknowledge that if he'd had the wherewithal to consider other options, he could have spared himself from the impending impact, which he must have felt in anticipation, with horrible, vivid clarity, before he experienced it as a distinct physical sensation, his body shattering the surface of the river right at the moment when he was probably condemning himself for being such a stupid idiot, and wasn't it just so typical for him to realize this too late? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Joanna. I, 
I actually I was imagining us getting to the part where the 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 body how the body is how not the body because he's still well he's I well I won't ruin it because no you, read, you can like, ruin the pages, beginning <laughs> you can ruin you the beginning he's still alive <laughs> it is uh, I'll I'll tell you the um I'll give you a little bit of background then read another oh, a paragraph um or a couple of paragraphs I I we have. In Rochester, New York, a magnificent river that goes through a series of waterfalls right in the center of the city. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. And uh, it, in fact, it was at these falls that a very famous waterfall jumper in the 1800s named Sam Patch met his end. He jumped Niagara Falls several times, but it was in Rochester where he went over and did not come up again. So we lost Sam Patch in the 1800s. And knowing that history, one day I was downtown and uh, it was a cold day, uh, gray. Uh, it might have been a bit of sleet in the air. Uh, and I was looking at the waterfall, the surging water. It's There's always something hypnotic about mm. that image, isn't there? Yes. And while I was looking at it, the, the way it was swirling going over the edge and then hitting the bottom, I started to think for a minute, wait, is it going up or down? Is it running backwards or is it running forwards? For for a moment, I just wasn't sure. And really out of that uncertainty came this novel and this uh, section where I'll read, if I can, a couple more that's, paragraphs and that's, here. Oh, yes. And that's wonderful, Joanna. From that moment, it was that feeling yeah. that then this story yeah. tries to capture. Yeah. As we were saying earlier in, co- in our conversation that the, uh, the uh, wonderful infinity of possibilities that fiction allows us uh, uh, makes it... Uh, I think, you know, makes a moment like that uh, relevant for a writer. You know, something that seems weird or even magical. Well, I know the place for it. A book, a novel. And you uh, need those moments, Yes, right? yes, you do. You do. And it's, uh, yeah, you have to be ready to be uh, caught by them. Well, before we get too far away from it, let's hear those paragraph. Okay. Under ordinary conditions, the story would have ended with my father's death. But something extraordinary happened that morning, and A. Boyle was saved from an outcome that should have been inevitable. As I imagine it, no sooner had he slipped beneath the surface of the tusky than from the depths came a soft rumble, and the river, already swollen from the rain, abruptly smoothed out in response. The refuse stopped its spinning rush, the wind died down, A vacuum of silence sucked in all noise, and the gallons of water that a moment before had been plunging over the falls seemed to hover in the air, hesitating, uncertain. For an instant that was too short and too long to be measured by conventional time, all motion in the gorge ceased. And out of that infinite stillness came my father's reprieve. Though I can't fully explain what happened next, I do know that heavy rainfall contributed to problems created by a rickety wooden coffer dam. A portion of the barrier had collapsed and storm debris had been collecting over several days, clogging the spillway. The previous night, an additional two inches of rain had fallen, causing the city's sewers to overflow. 
and a dense sludge pasted the debris into a full obstruction, blocking the surging river entirely. The water had nowhere to go except back into the gorge. Ripples spread across the surface, gathering into a forceful swell. There was a great splashing noise of liquid washing against a confined space. Water began foaming and boiling, and that portion of the Tusky reversed its direction. The current sloshed southward even as the river toppled over the falls with renewed force, and the gorge began to fill like a stopped-up sink. So it can't really happen in real life, can it? Oh, maybe it can. We'll make it happen. Maybe it did. (laughs) (laughs) And, And... Then and there and there therein was his reprieve. There and, 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 and he, so imagining he this magical moment, the water pushes him up out of the gorge, deposits him on the side of the uh, on the bank, and he goes on with his life. <laughs> <laughs> but away, but away, still away. just a different type of away. Away, yes. yeah, yeah. And a, a, a painful away for for him. So uh, he he leaves a a love that he thought would last through his life, um, really because of mistaken identity. And it it takes many years for him to hear the uh, or for for him to be uh, brought back to um, what would have been his family. And we have a, a shift suddenly from from this moment because we have, well we have the narrator's voice, which I believe is Sally Werner, mm-hmm. um, who's talking about her father, mm-hmm. and then we have um, some white space and a shift into um, the beginning of Sally's story. Really, yes, yes. The I uh, the Sally I uh, the the grandmother or the grandmother Sally. Sally. There, there are well, Sally's multiple yes. Sally's here <laughs> and and multiple versions of one Sally too so could you talk a little bit about that because the um this idea of well first of all this very strong um voice emerging as the narrator Sally Werner which is the first narrator's grandmother mm-hmm. um so uh, so and then this sounds confusing as I'm saying it, but it's not at all con- confusing as you come to it on the page. So, <laughs> and I these... teach I teach a class called the Literature of Confusion, so I am drawn to that. I have to say, well, yes. I'm not afraid of confusion. But no, it's it's. I think it's clear that uh, that the narrator throughout the book is I, uh, or the one sort of in control of the story, as it's delivered to the reader, is the the younger. Sally, the the uh, granddaughter. The story is about Sally, the older Sally, and she, uh, over the course of her life, redefines herself. Um, I think I, I I wanted to understand or think about how identity is constructed. I attached her story to the story of this river. So she moves up the river. It's actually this, the river that runs through Rochester, the Genesee, is one of the few rivers in, on the continent that runs north. So she moves up north with the river. And uh, as she does, there she has opportunities and 
uh, sometimes is forced to redefine herself, rename herself, give herself a, a new identity. I was thinking a lot about what it means to be a woman alone, uh, cast out from the family, uh, having to make a living, having to at a certain point raise a child. Um, and uh, part of that effort became bound up with naming for for this character and and uh my sense of her uh was uh you know i i, I felt you know I, I wanted to give a portrait of a, of a single character and yet transforming evolving throughout the the novel so and she does change Yes, and this idea that some of it is, it seems like it's driven by the her impulse or the choices she makes, but then some of it at certain moments it seems, and f- as a truth I think for all of us, is what's sort of then put on you by the community. Yes, yes. Is, I don't know, I feel like I'm more aware of that now. Why? It, it, I, I, the, a certain brazenness I felt in my, my youth perhaps has uh, been... Tempered a little bit by experience, and uh, just aware that uh, sometimes gender can uh, have implications that uh, we might not expect, and especially in the mid-century uh, provincial U.S. Um, so she's beaten up, literally at one point, but metaphorically too. Uh, it's a, you know, a, a struggle to uh, create a self and hold on to it for for her, uh, and and partly because uh, she makes herself, or or she knows herself to be vulnerable as a woman. And it's 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 wonderful to sit here and listen to you talk about her because if if I didn't know better <laughs> I would have think this was a very real person mm. like someone who perhaps was was your grandmother mm. um, not even close no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe so just the but the the way that you see feel her mm. it's mm. maybe maybe not close to, to my grandmother but closer to me perhaps <laughs> the uh, you know I came I did in, in, as a college student uh, uh, writers like um, Betty Friedan, mm. uh, it was she's very important, and and I thought all the work had been done. Mm. Andrew Dworkin was someone I knew a little bit, a radical feminist in the uh, early eighties, and she was literally spit upon. I mean, she is, she was, uh, she's no longer alive, but uh, came up with some really outrageous propositions about um, gender politics. And yet, I look back on that and, and think, I, I was a little naive in my 20s when I, I thought, okay, they've done all the work for us. Mm. Uh, good for them. Now yes. now we, we can enjoy the, the <laughs> fruits. fruits. Of their labor. <laughs> yeah. But even now, yes. Yeah, so, even that, now. you know, it, it's one of the, the concerns that grows more pressing for me, I should say, as a, as a writer. And... Yes, and as a writer, as a woman with with daughters, with daughters as well. Exactly, exactly. We'll, we'll take a short break. We'll yeah. be right back. Today on Living Writers, Joanna Scott is here. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back.
Makes no difference now what kind of life fate hands me. I'll get along without you now, that's plain to see. I don't care what happens next, cause I'll get by somehow. I don't worry, cause it makes no difference now. It was just a year ago when I first met you. I learned to love you and I thought you'd love me too. But that's all in the past and I'll forget somehow. I don't worry cause it makes no difference now. I can't believe we're through I don't blame myself And I'm sure I can't blame you There was something had to happen And it happened somehow I don't worry Cause it makes no difference now After all is said and done I'll soon forget you Although I know Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hutzel, and today on the program, Joanna Scott is here in the studio. Um, we just got to hear um, the beginning of your novel, Follow Me, Joanna. Thank you for reading oh, thank that you for us. For and, and for letting me read oh, it. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Okay, I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> You're always welcome here. Yes, you found at home at WCBN. Um, and and you'll be you'll be reading for those out there listening um, here in the area tomorrow at UMA at the uh, University of Michigan's Museum of Art um, at five o'clock five ten ish at the Helmut Stern Auditorium. So folks, five p.m. on Thursday. Um, and I'll say tonight we've um, also got Eileen Pollock over at Nicola's Books um, reading from her her latest novel. Um, Eileen's amazing. She's got these these novels coming out. <laughs> I can't. Keep up I'm with going her. to I can't the get reading. Her on the I'm show excited. Now. Yeah. <laughs> looking oh, forward oh, wonderful. to it. Wonderful. So yeah. you're going. Yeah. Oh. Um, and then, and then a quick uh, thing for on deck for living writers next week. Uh, we have a live show, Joanna. We're doing a live um, show at eight o'clock with the poet Naomi Shihab Nye at the Work Gallery on State Street. Uh-huh. So, um, uh, audience members, welcome. So if you're around next Wednesday on January 25th, or Joanna, if you want to fly back from Rochester, <laughs> easy if you, flight. If you, Ann Arbor. <laughs> You. Uh, yeah. It does. I love it here already. We, we shouldn't say your secret of the flight <laughs> no, arrangements. Don't, no, okay. don't talk. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're going to get me in trouble, T. It's all fiction. It's all fiction. Um, Pretend you didn't hear that. <laughs> well, well, where we where we left off was this was talking about. Um, I think also a strength of character that that is throughout mm. all your 
your novels and your sh- short stories this um because i feel like i've read in in a, a previous interview uh joanna that you said um you know something's working when you sense an independence in the character mm. and the strength of voice. Mm. Mm. It is strength of voice is a great phrase. I'm sure I borrowed it. it. I, I wouldn't come up with something <laughs> like that. I'm sure I took it from someone else. But I, uh, I really that the strength of voice has to do with the sheer sound, the the music of the the uh, when the letters are pronounced it's something as as vital as that and you're um, here and you're hearing that within your mind's ear absolutely and then it forms a pattern it forms uh, uh, uh there's some kind of coherence that's established uh, almost you know as a teacher you know i'm always working with my students on this how how do we establish that coherent voice that unified voice but still is varied and wild I'm not sure how still, uh, but we can often recognize it uh, when we find it. And, and uh, immense variations. So we talked about Faulkner earlier, you know, uh, 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 the um, voice of, say, um, Quentin and Absalom. Absalom is, Absalom is so uh, defined uh, and and defined in part by region, defined in part by education, defined in part by his age, who he is, and and still with all those things, still very very unique. Uh, at a very uh, different, um, a, a different kind of voice. Uh, uh, really, I'd say the extreme to that would be one of Henry James's narrators. Um, I think of the, the wonderful narrator of the. Aspirin papers, who seems just so literary, so uh, focused, and and he has a, a, his own kind of confidence. And what we see is that that confidence is hiding this immense insecurity, uh, and um, that's part of the strength of the voice. That that the, a complexity. It's it's this you know different textures, different sorts of. Um, a pull and push of desire, of of uh, curiosity, of um, education. These these things all go into the mix and create a kind of tension. I think, and that then we associate with a very distinct character's voice. Voice is a wonderful thing. I mean, I hope you, the that comes across just in. The, the saying of it, voice, <laughs> that word, <laughs> voice. <laughs> yes, because it means so much, it literally, like the sound and the pieces of the dialogue, but it's like how, how the voice is moving on the page completely. And, and Yes, it is. I mean, I, I should remember it's a silent thing we do when, when we read generally, except when we at five o'clock are reading at the <laughs> theater in Ann Arbor. But uh, the... Um, the, uh, you know, fiction has its origins in theater, and and I personally feel like I, 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 I as as a young writer was was coming out of a, a love of theater that that if I could choose now, I I, I think I would have liked to spend more time with theater in theater that said i i am drawn to work that is theatrical that is a little bit um i i that that shows its uh 
how should I say it? Um, the 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 gears, the workings a little bit. That I like to feel like I'm in a theater when I'm reading a, a work of fiction. Now that that can be, and not all readers like that. You know, I. I and is this relatively new then? Are you no, 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 no. I would say felt? that this is this okay. is true from the the beginning. And so and feel I the gears I, of the writing. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 gas lights burning. Um, to to I uh, see the curtains open and closed. To remember that this is a made up thing. That this is an illusion. That this is invention. That this one of the wonderful things a work of imaginative literature can teach us is the the power of the mind to invent, to come up with something new. If we're going to watch that, if we're going to follow that, then we need to be aware of the invention, the, the very fact that it is mm. a constructed, a, a made-up thing. So I do like a, a work that, that shows that a little bit, that, that advertises its theatricality a so, little bit. So in you know. what, what you read to us, Joanna, the moment would be when you're saying... Um, on the page, well, how can water actually stop where there was nowhere to go for the water to go but back? And then, so... so That's a good, that would be a good example. A, a time or, that had, I think you said something like there wasn't enough time. Like the way you talked about time, you said it was some both two things at once. Uh-huh, so, uh-huh, so you, but uh-huh. you said it was. Yes, yes. So that's that impossibility. Yep, and absolutely drawing attention to the story literally saying now the story could go one way but it goes the other way yes. and and you know to some extent that is just a, a a peculiar trait of mind or an interest um not not the everyone of potential it. of imagination you maybe that, that, that did i say that or did yes. you, say that? you said that are you sure it's you didn't website. say that oh no, did i for, say i think oh, i think really? it's one of your oh, interests as, a, oh. as yes yeah well illusion and materiality, you put them together, and you have theater. Yep. That I uh, yes. so, uh, I I love that feeling in a theater when the lights go down, uh, anticipatory, and the darkness. stage lights go up, yes. and we feel the art being enacted before us. So, uh, the the pressure. There's a little bit of pressure. Perhaps there always has been on uh, fiction writers, in particular, to. Uh, convince readers that their story is as close to the truth as possible you know we just love to hear based on a true story and uh you know i want to go in the other direction yeah it's based it's not based on it's false it's a lie it's a flat out lie that's why i call it a novel (laughs) should i say that <laughs> well, and that goes back to the wildness. Yeah, yeah, and and the attraction of uh, I should say in my own life, I I I'm not a liar. I, I swear. I'm even as I say this, it's the truth. I'm not lying when I say I don't lie. I, but I I do love to write about the lie of of fiction you know the the power of the mind to invent to deceive to create that illusion is a wonderful thing thank you so much joanna oh, thank you for T. talking with me today this is thank been you for your questions um, well you've been listening to living writers today on the program joanna scott her novel follow me um, 
Thanks very much for listening, everyone. If you can, come see us next week, January 25th, for Naomi Shiab Nye at the Work Gallery at 8 p.m., a live version of Living Writers. Thanks again to Text for Engineering. Uh, thanks to you all for listening. Thanks to Joanna Scott. I'm T. Until next time. Frog went a cotton in a heated ride. Frog went a cotton in a heated ride. Frog went a cotton in a heated ride with a sword and a pistol by his side. And he rode right up to Miss Mousy's door. He rode right up to Miss Mousy's door. He rode right up to Miss Mousy's door, gave three loud raps and a very big roll. Said Miss Mouse, breathe in. Said Miss Mouse, are you within? Said Miss Mouse, are you within? This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, January 18th, 2012. In Los Angeles, I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, prominent and grassroots websites protest controversial anti-piracy bills that they say threaten online freedom of expression. The Department of Homeland Security is monitoring social media sites. We'll have details from the group that obtained the government documents. Petitioners submit more than a million signatures to recall Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, And we'll go to the West Bank and Israel, where a campaign targeting supporters of the Israeli occupation of Palestinian territories is gaining steam. Those stories and more, but first, this news. I'm Shannon Young with the headlines for Free Speech Radio News. The White House has denied TransCanada's permit application for the controversial Keystone XL pipeline project. The pipeline would have transported crude